It's been 84 years. The sheets had never been slept in. The china had never been used. I messed it up. It's not it. Titanic was called. The ship of dreams. I gotta start over. Titanic was called. The ship of dreams. And it was. It's... (laughs) Do you take this woman to watch movies? And do you take this man to talk about them? I now pronounce you a podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, welcome everyone. Welcome everyone. We're here. To Wife Watches. Welcome to Wife Watches. I'm the wife who watches. I am a husband and I've picked out the movie. Sort of. I would... No. (laughs) Yeah, go on. So this is a a podcast where uh, I choose movies that I feel like my wife hasn't seen that are culturally or uh, cinematically important that she's missed. Correct. However, we've both seen this movie. Yes, we have. But so I wouldn't say this is necessarily my pick or your pick, but we have decided on this movie collectively together. together. Say it it with me. Collectively. We're about to watch it. Uh, It is a long movie. (laughs) Yep, it is. (laughs) I just found out how long it is. That's right. 3.25. Yeah. Could you just go ahead and get rid of that pause? No, no I'm keeping that, that. That pause is real. I couldn't figure out if it was 0.25 or 0.15. It's, it's tough. It's 60 point, yeah, minutes it's, it's to It's uh, 0.25. 100%. Yeah, we, we get it. We know. <laughs> yeah. 45 minutes longer than you thought it was. Yes. Which I think it'll be fine. Yeah, well, we'll be good. Um, we're going to feel it the same way Jack and Rose do, I think. Yeah. Have we even said what movie it was? Oh, my gosh. Well, people know if they've clicked on it. But we are watching. True. As tradition, before we watch the movie, I give a little bit of context. The year is 1997. Bill Clinton is president. The top song of the year... Let me guess. Is that a Celine Dion song? Well, it wouldn't be Celine Dion because this came out in December. I know, but Celine Dion was huge in 97. I know, but you want to know what it was? Well, if this if this uh, Google search is to be believed, it is Elton John's Candle in the Wind. I actually think that is true. Wow. I don't even know how that song goes. Because one time I was listening to a playlist on YouTube about the top songs of every year. And I remember thinking, that's weird. That song reminds me of Candle in the Water. Um, When I just clicked in top song of 1997, I also got Barbie Girl by Aqua. I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba. No idea what that is. I get knocked down. Oh. And I get up again. Why did I think that was No Doubt? I don't know because No Doubt is... Huh. It's Gwen Stefani. I know, I know. Wow, this was a this was a dead year for me musically as a you know the song it's like six year old. It's Father of Mine by Everclear. Have you ever heard that? Father of Mine. I have a vivid memory of either like second, third, or fourth grade. I can't remember where we had like a talent show in our our uh, lunch room doubled as our gym in elementary school. Probably in a lot of elementary schools. Yeah, but me I remember too. two kids. Uh, Tommy Loveless and Corey Jensen, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> They're not. For their talent, when we did it in this in this gym slash uh, the lunchroom, they brought out a CD player and they played that. And that's the track that started playing, Father of Mine. And then we had our like the rope in the corner that we had to like climb the rope. And they just both like climbed the rope. And that was their talent was climbing the rope to Father of Mine. watching like no no i i watched it like shit that is awesome <laughs> i wish i could do that because i hated climbing the rope and doing pull-ups that is so funny i, I developed a really negative uh relationship with jim very early on sure okay titanic is a 1997 american epic romance and disaster film it is written directed and co-produced and co-edited by mr james cameron it incorporates both historical and fictionalized aspects. Um, the film is based on accounts of the sinking of the RMS Titanic. It stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet as members of different social classes who fall in love aboard the ship during its ill-fated maiden voyage. It was the most expensive movie ever made at the time, with a production budget of $200 million, which is kind of, I wouldn't say quaint now, but that is surpassed, um, not regularly, but quite a bit with modern movies now. Um, despite this, upon its release... Wait, can you give us some sort of reference? Uh, 
I imagine Avengers Endgame probably costs between three and four hundred million. I'm sure that's got to be the most expensive movie ever made. Okay. I imagine a hundred million of Avengers Endgame's budget was spent on its cast. Typically, a lot of big budget blockbusters now run between two hundred and three hundred million. I think. Okay. And then uh, a rule of thumb for a big budget movie like that is double that cost for marketing. Despite being the most expensive film ever made, upon its release on December 19th, 1997, Titanic achieved significant critical and commercial success. It was nominated for 14 Academy Awards, uh, where it tied All About Eve from 1950 for the most Oscar nominations, and it won 11, including uh, Best Picture and Best Director, tying Ben-Hur for the most Oscars won by a single film. With an initial worldwide gross of over $1.84 billion, Titanic was the first film to reach the billion dollar mark and became the highest grossing film ever at the time. Wow. Until Cameron's own Avatar surpassed it in 2010. So he topped himself. A 3D version of Titanic was released April 4th, 2012 to commemorate the centennial of the sinking, uh, which earned it an additional $343 million, pushing its worldwide total to $2.18 billion. Wow. I personally went and saw it in 2012. I kind of wish I had. I didn't. It was very, very great. All um, by myself. You did? Yeah, and there were these kids in front of me, and I just was so furious. I'm like, what are you doing here? Oh, yeah, we, we hate people at the movie theater. Mm-hmm. We're not we're not doing a bit. We really... Running. We... What? Yeah. So I got, I got up and moved kind of like way in front of them. Oh, my gosh. Dear listener, we could do a whole episode. Of, we could do a whole of series. Of people we've of encountered the... at the movie theater. Okay. Um, the other question I wanted to ask before we jump into watching the movie. Normally I ask what made one of us wait to watch this, uh-huh. but we've both seen it. So yeah. I want to ask what uh, is your relationship with this movie? All right. I'm very excited for this question. Okay. Because I was five years old when it came out. I saw it in theaters with my mother. My mother took me to see it multiple times hmm. in theaters. Uh, at one point she took me my brother and my sister and I remember her closing his eyes during like I remember her like telling him to put his hands over his eyes during the naked scene part um but she didn't make the rest of us which I've always thought Hmm. well I mean I guess because we were girls but still I was five (laughs) (laughs) like it's just so funny she took you multiple times as well she took me I I think she took me twice um, and then my sister took me a couple times. Theaters. I think I saw it six times in theaters. Amazing. Yeah, we would, my sister and I would walk to the theater. And I remember I had this, like, this necklace. It was like this silver necklace with, um, a treble clef on it. And I would just walk, <laughs> I would just hold it and walk thinking about the movie. <laughs> like, as we would walk to the movie theater. Um, and then when we moved. What? <laughs> treble clef? I know. And I think it was my sister's. I think my sister had like given it to me because she didn't want it anymore. So it was like just like junk. Like I just was like. One man's trash, right? That's like me in my head. Absolutely. Um, I also, so I have, I have so many memories of this movie. And then I remember, so that was in Oklahoma when we lived in Oklahoma. And then we moved here when I was six and the movie was still huge. And I made some friends when we moved into the neighborhood I had a friend who also loved Titanic, and so we would just talk about it, like, constantly. And we would, like, act it out. I had this, like, porch. I used to have a porch in the backyard, and we would, like, do the hanging over the scene, and then I, we played it all the time. And then that Christmas was also my birthday, so this would have been 1998. Um, and there was, like, a book of, like, the behind-the-scenes stuff uh-huh. that my mom gave me for my birthday. It was like this, so little, and it was like all this behind the scenes stuff. And I just used to look at it and it was, so it was also my birthday. And then this friend that I had like befriended in our neighborhood, um, she gave that same book to me (laughs) and her dad had gone in and like drawn a bikini on the picture of, cause it had like this huge two page spread of the, the picture and he'd gone in with like a permanent marker and drawn a bikini on it. And I just, I think about that now. I'm just like, that is the weirdest obsession for a five and six year old. I'll get to this more. I looked up a bunch of stuff about this. Mm. Mostly just read right from the Wikipedia article. The Titanic craze. Play on words. But like the craze about Titanic. Yeah. And I was also obsessed with Celine Dion. Everything Celine Dion. Like I just, I was 
completely obsessed. Probably in a similar way that you were like obsessed with the Phantom Menace. What is is this your Phantom Menace? Yes, absolutely. I can't think of another movie that I was more obsessed with as a Little kid. Little Women. No, I wasn't as that. That wasn't the same. Here's the thing, though. Phantom Menace was my obsession with when I like around age nine to ten to eleven. Mm-hmm. I would say when I was five or six, though, it was probably. Ninja Turtles the movie or Batman Forever or Toy okay. Story. But is this the most, like, would you say of your first 10 years, this is like the most influential movie 100%. That's interesting. We are, we are children of the 90s. Yeah. I wonder if I would have loved it as much if I didn't have older siblings. I wonder that was so many things I was exposed to as a kid. Me too. Yeah. yeah like every, every, because I probably still would have liked a lot of the same things because I think I picked up a lot of it through uh, commercials, honestly, watching TV and through Friends. So would you say you're pretty familiar with this movie? Yes, I know every line. Okay. I don't know it as well. I feel like right. I remember things pretty vividly Well, about what was them. your experience? So I think I've only seen this three or four times ever. Oh. But the first time I saw it was with my friend and his family, <laughs> and they all watched it together as a family. I've told you this story mm-hmm. before. Um, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, my friend's mom was like, well, this is fine because it's art. Um, which is like, I guess, was that, I imagine there was probably a cultural backlash with some parents to this movie and vice versa, where some parents were very upset or blindsided by this mm-hmm. and other parents being like, well, it's art and that's how it's, uh, credited and how that's how it got past the rating system. Anyway, I was allowed to watch this and I actually don't remember. But you see her fully naked. Yes, but I don't remember as an eight-year-old really registering what I was watching. And so anyway, I watched it and I remember coming home and telling my parents I'd watched it and my mom was very upset <laughs> that they'd let me watch that movie. In all honesty, it would have made me mad. I probably would have been mad too if Just, some yeah. someone in my, my son's friend's family let him watch... Something I didn't approve of. Yeah, like a topless scene and he's eight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway... Despite that, despite probably having not watched this in, honestly, maybe 20 years. That's crazy. I have it pretty well imprinted in my mind. But I, I'm. it'll be fun re-watching movies that you remember pretty well. Yeah. And being surprised by what is completely new. Yeah. And recontextualized in an older age. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to look forward, I'm looking forward to watching this. I was also morbidly fascinated by the Titanic crisis. And I don't know if I would have been. I wonder if that's just because everyone was talking about this movie. And so Titanic was just a pop cultural talking point and obsession. Like if this movie wasn't a thing in the 90s, would I have still found out about the Titanic and been so interested in it? I think about that with... um, There's a a movie called Titanic that came out. It's like old. The 30s, maybe? 40s? Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I remember seeing that my parents would, like, it would, I don't know if it would, like, be on TV or what, but I knew they were watching it. Or it would be, like, scrolling through, and it would be like, oh, Titanic. And I would click on it, and it would be something totally different. Like, I have two memories of those two things happening, and being like, this isn't Titanic. I don't care about this. You know, like, I don't think for me it wasn't the Titanic as much as it was the story of Jack and Rose. Oh, for me, it was like the horror yeah. of what happened. I could see that. Okay. I think we've set the table for what we're about to embark on. Yeah. Let us... Embark. Okay. Bon voyage. That's me uh, breaking the bottle against the hull of the ship. Bon. 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 All aboard. Okay, here we go. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, We have watched Titanic. We have. It's been a bit of an adventure to get to where we are. (laughs) Right. We watched it about a week and a half ago. We split it. Did we? Wow. Uh, We split it into two nights. We did. A week and two days ago. We split it into two nights because 
We just wanted to give each half its proper due, and we split it right at the moment where the two VHS tapes would have stopped. Right. Was your family the type that as soon as the tape was done, you had to rewind it, no matter what situation you were in? No, I mean, we had to rewind it once we were done watching. Our Stranger Things fans won't know what that means. They had these... They had machines that were specifically to rewind videotapes. And my grandma had one, and I thought it was so cool. And it is the most irrelevant relic of the past I can think of. I wonder if we could find one. Like, I'm sure they're those... like 10 cents somewhere. And they always had the stickers on VHSs that you would rent saying, please rewind. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you would rent one, and you'd pull it out, and like the jerk-off before hadn't rewound it. Yeah. Oh yeah, gosh. I do remember that. Yeah. When do you think we switched from tapes to DVDs? But it was right around 2000. And I remember because my friend, the same friend who introduced me to Titanic, to much to my mother's chagrin, <laughs> they were one of the first families I knew that had a DVD player. Oh, okay. And they had, the DVDs they had were like from 1999. That was the first time I saw The Matrix. And I remember the case. Was that the first movie you saw on DVD then? The Matrix. It might have been, or it might have been The Replacements, another Keanu Reeves movie. Oh, yeah. The the football one. Uh I remember thinking DVD cases were really weird because they were the same height as a VHS. Yeah. And I remember just seeing them before I actually saw that there was a disc in it. Is the disc, like, rectangular? (laughs) That's cute. I was dumb when I was 12. (laughs) Anyway, Titanic. (laughs) The other thing I wanted to reveal to the listeners is we have recorded this episode already. Yep. All two hours of it. And I straight up accidentally deleted it. (laughs) I genuinely thought at some point I was going to delete an episode. And I didn't think it would be this early into our run (laughs) of recording podcasts. Because we were just so... I was furious. I was furious. I know, you were really mad. Yeah. I was trying to console you. Yeah, I was so mad. I know. Okay, so hopefully we can recapture the the magic of the first time we discussed this together. I feel a different energy. Better? Yeah. The last... When we do it really late at night, when it's Mm -hmm. a school night, I get kind of like tired. You sure? We got a lot of energy. We do. Tell us what happened. Let's... Let's dive into it. Oh, <laughs> let's sink our teeth into this. Let's splash into it. Let's, uh, cold ice. Um, let's crash right into this. <laughs> All right. So you have a first class girl getting on the Titanic, the most luxurious ship that ever sailed the Atlantic. And you have a third class boy who wins the tickets on in a poker game. Yeah. They both board the same ship. Rose DeWippicator is with her family. She's with her mom and her fiance. And Jack is basically alone. He has some friends. You know what I thought about what? when he wins? So Jack is played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. If anyone doesn't know that, I guess. <laughs> when he wins those tickets, that reminded me of all the people who narrowly didn't go on this voyage. <laughs> I wish I remembered the exact details, but my, I think my great grandma almost came from Europe on the Titanic. Whoa. But she was very poor and ended up going on a later ship after it sunk. Whoa. Which I, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get my, the. From from where? Uh. Denmark? Probably Denmark. Wow. Yeah, it would have been Denmark because it would have been from my mom's side and they're all Danish. I'll try to get the exact details from my mom. Um. But isn't that wild? Yeah. And I guess, I can't remember if I just thought this or if my mom actually told me this, but how terrified she was. I can't remember if I just like thought, after it thought happened. Like, wouldn't you be so scared sailing across the Atlantic right after the Titanic sunk? Yeah. But, well, however, I feel like you might feel a little bit safer knowing that I'm sure like those big like cr- like cruisers and ships like that went out of their way to overprotect themselves. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was in the same way that like post 9-11, like airport security and like precautions really went up. I wonder if that was the same for ships where they're like, like, we're going to have more than necessary, more than enough lifeboats. Yeah. We're going to make sure that people are always aware of where we are and like people can come help us if need be, stuff like that. Well, yeah. And that's like, that's how like progress is made too. It, it almost had something like that almost it had, had, had to, to happen yeah. or we wouldn't have. Well, no one would sail again i'm yeah. sure just even to like kind of save that industry you know mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Isn't that wild, though? It is. <clears throat> the movie's kind of peppered with little ironic statements from characters. So many times they would say, no, nothing can sink this ship, and they were being really braggadocious about it. Yeah. And I kind of asked you, do you think people really were that arrogant? Or was that just something that's kind of cute that they've littered throughout the movie for the audience's benefit? No, I think I think they genuinely thought that it was an unsinkable ship. That they were like, we made yeah. it. Well, because like all the all the promotional material said that, like all the White Star Line stuff at that museum that I was telling you about yeah. in Liverpool said that. So they get on this ship. Rose tries to kill herself by mm-hmm. jumping off the front, the back of the ship. Mm-hmm. And Jack happens to be there, Leonardo DiCaprio, and he runs over and tries to help her, and she slips, and it's this whole thing. And police people are called, and her fiance is called. And they give him a dinner with them and 20 bucks. This actually is part, one of the things I like the most about the first half. What? Um, just watching him interact and like kind of like the, the different class systems within the ship. Yeah. I mean, they go through great lengths to show that like, and this was when I first watched it as a kid. This was almost my first exposure to extreme classism. Uh-huh. And I was so like kind of upset by it that you had these... These people living in like the best of places and they had like, they moved like all their furniture on for the ship and they, everything was so wonderful to them. What a wonderful, like exciting, uh, like luxury cruise. And then you had the, the poorer citizens like just working like in the bowels of the ship, just sweating and just like such a miserable conditions. Mm-hmm. And the contrast of that, I feel like is, it's always yeah. good. It always makes for a good, like that's always a good element of any kind of romance. Yes. Yeah. Uh, two people crossing different class barriers. Mm-hmm. I wonder, would you say it's kind of in the style of kind of uh, Romeo and Juliet? I mean, how could it not be? Well, when James Cameron pitched this script, James Cameron is the writer and producer. Oh, that's where I got that idea. You've told me that before. Oh, he pitched as Romeo I'm and like, Juliet this on the familiar. Titanic. <laughs> I didn't come up with this. Wow, well, yeah. <laughs> Stop stealing my facts. <laughs> do you want to know? Do you want to learn a little bit about Leo and Kate Winslet? Uh huh. Um. So a little bit about Leo, when they're casting Leo. Um, Matthew McConaughey, Chris O'Donnell, Billy Crudup, and Stephen Dorff were all considered for the role of Jack. But Cameron felt that a few of the actors were too old for the part because he wanted someone who was 20 years old. Tom Cruise was also interested in playing the character, but his asking price was too much for the studio to consider. <laughs> and Cameron uh, considered Jared Leto for the role, but Leto refused to audition. <laughs> that is so funny to me. I know. Also, I just, I love the idea... Of Matthew McConaughey as Jack. Jack Dawson. Do you think any of those would have been, maybe not better, but just as good? I wonder what would have happened to Jared Leto if he had played that role. I yeah. think Leonardo DiCaprio would have been fine. He would have still been a pretty big star because he, he kind of... So I think I it's like it's interesting to think about what would have happened to Jared Leto. I know. Somebody like Matthew McConaughey... I don't remember what he was doing I mean, in he the nineties. He was in a movie. He was in Dazed and Confused in the early nineties and really popped. And that's where he had the all right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of. I think people knew he was going to be bigger, mm-hmm. but they were all kind of competing for the same roles at this point. Gotcha. I think he looks too. He gr- looks too manly. Gruff. Too, yeah. Yeah. You need someone who is a bit more boyish and has that exuberance because. And this is something I mentioned when we recorded it a week ago. Yeah. The point in the movie when when Jack is invited to dinner with all the other socialites, and some of them are very charmed by him, and others are very, like, especially her, uh, uh, Rose's fiance, Billy Zane, is just a dick to him. <laughs> yeah. But he talks about how he's just, because people are like, how are you living? Like, how'd you get on this ship? Like, what's your plan? And he's like, well, I just live every day. should be like, it's own adventure. And like, I just, he's so full of life and youth and like promise and it is so sad. And I never noticed that watching it because... I didn't either. Every time I'd watched this movie, I was younger than these characters. And now being older than they are, like 10 years older than they are, really, I like the weight of like what uh, like a tragedy for like human life this was. Like such an, such an avoidable tragedy. And yeah. just so many young people just robbed of that. I don't know, that landed more than I thought it would. Uh-huh. I thought I wouldn't feel really much of anything like that during watching the movie because I just knew what I knew what was happening Mm -hmm. did you also know that Leonardo DiCaprio was one of the top people Lucas wanted for Anakin Skywalker in the Star Wars prequels in two and three 
It does not surprise me at all. But he didn't want to be in them, probably because The Phantom Menace was so hated. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to be in uh, Martin Scorsese's movie, Gangs of New York. That was, I'll say it, a great choice. <laughs> good call. Yeah, a really good call. But it makes me wonder, if The Phantom Menace had been good, I wonder if he would have gone that route. Maybe. I mean, he would have been better. But yeah, I, I remember being a little kid and having these like magazines like all about comic books and like speculation and they were talking about Leo is trying to be courted for young Anakin Skywalker. And I think he always, especially like coming he off- He like knew what kind of actor he wanted to be. Yes, he wanted to be like an actor's actor. And I think that's why, that's like the clearest like pathway in front of him is like, do I do- like the big franchise route and go Star Wars. Like what's a bigger franchise than Star Wars? Or like choose like interesting, well-respected actor, like uh, directors and filmmakers. And that's yeah. the route he's been going well, ever since. Great. But it worked out for him. He had not won an Oscar. Because the first Oscar he won was... For The Revenant. Yeah. Yeah. So but, he didn't win an Oscar for Gilbert Grape. Oh, you're right. Was he nominated? Yes. I mean, that's still... No, 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 you're right. That's a good performance though. Have you ever seen that? I've seen parts of it. I haven't um, seen the whole thing. Put that on my tombstone. I say that to you about so many different things. What? That I've seen parts of it, but I have never seen the full thing. Um, on my tombstone will be, oh, that's on my list. I'll, I'll, I'm getting to that. <laughs> I really should watch that. <laughs> no, I've heard that's good. It's on my list. Um, a little bit about Kate Winslet as Rose. Um, Cameron said of Winslet that she had... The thing that you look for, and then there was a quality in her face, in her eyes, that he just knew that people would really want to go the distance with her. I totally agree. She has the most, like, I don't think she has, like, just looking at her, I don't think she has, like, the most piercing eyes. Uh-huh. But weirdly in that movie, there's something so, um, like, from a different time about uh-huh. her. And just, like, something sad about her eyes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I... Something just, like, very compelling where you're just, like, you feel a lot when she... Because she, like, there are so many times where she's, like, looking up at different things. Well, it's important, too, because you need to experience the horror of the, the back half of the movie through them specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't particularly like her in general. But do you like her in this movie? <clears throat> I think she's fine. I don't think she's bad. Wow. Okay. But you quite liked her in this movie. Yeah. She was probably the first actress that I really connected to, connected with. Mm -hmm. I can understand why people like her. Gwyneth Paltrow, Winona Ryder, Claire Danes, and Reese Witherspoon... Oh my gosh. Reese Witherspoon were all considered for the role. They all turned it down, and 20-year-old Winslet campaigned heavily for the role. She sent Cameron daily notes from England, which led Cameron to invite her to Hollywood for auditions. After she screen-tested with DiCaprio, Winslet was so thoroughly impressed with him that she whispered to Cameron, he's great. Even if you don't pick me, pick him. Winslet also sent Cameron a rose, a single rose, with a card signed, from your rose. Very clever. And lobbied him by phone. There's a story that uh, she called him one time by mobile phone in his Humvee and said, you don't understand, I am Rose, I don't know why you're even seeing anyone else. I don't think any of those other people would have been as... Interesting. I think Gwyneth Paltrow would have been. Mm. I don't like Gwyneth Paltrow very much. You do, though. You like her. I do, yeah. I just feel like, meh, about her. Is that from her acting, or is that her real-life stuff leading into that? No, it's from her acting. I just don't connect with her. Really? Yeah. She's very um, plain-looking, and like I don't think she's very interesting to look at. Oh, huh. That sounds mean. I don't mean it. She's pretty, but she's like, she's doing, I don't she's find... She's doing fine. She'll, yeah. be, she'll yeah, be okay. She, <laughs> she's listening. Yeah. I just don't... I don't think she's very interesting to watch on screen. Have you ever seen The Talented Mr. Ripley? Um, I don't know. Or, no. or no, The I Royal haven't. Tenenbaums? No. I See, it's like some movies. roles in these other movies that I that make me think like, oh, she would have been pretty good in this. Oh, a follow-up to um, one of our last podcasts. I listened to... Um, a Dax Shepard podcast, Armchair Expert. I listened to an episode of his where he talks to Carrie Russell, uh-huh. and she talks about filming Star Wars, and she they flew her out to London to film. So remember how we were like joking about how how many days though? <laughs> I don't know, but she was like she was like I flew out there a couple times. 
You got, I mean, you she's, got suspicious eyes. I mean, look, is she going to, if she was only on set for like a day, is she ever going to actually admit that? I don't know. They said they, she's like, I flew to London every once in a while to go out there and film. You just, you're skeptical. I'm just saying the, the book's not closed on that. Got it. Got it. I just thought you'd find that interesting. That is interesting. Here's my question. Who brought it up? Uh, she did. Hmm. Unprompted? Yeah. No, they were talking about Star Wars. It just seems like she's trying to get ahead of the story, maybe, that <laughs> might be coming out. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Anyway, they go to dinner with all of the people in first class. The mom hates him. Cal hates him. Molly Brown is like, she's on his side. Yeah. Well, she's new money. Yeah. And so she knows what it's like to feel ostracized by these rich people. Yeah. She gives him her son's suit to wear. His Which, tuxedo. How, how did she, why did she have that? I don't know. Very Except, weird. I mean, all these rich people, they basically moved their whole house with them when they went so on the weird. Titanic. So they have dinner. Then they go to a real party. Yep. Dirty dancing style. Dirty dancing in the basement. Yeah, you had something to say about the suit that he was wearing. He stays in that tuxedo <laughs> for the entire night. Yeah. They're dancing around. They're just sweating. There's beer getting splashed all over everyone. And it's not his suit. Molly the Brown's unsinkable son. Molly Brown's son's tuxedo. Yeah. Those shoes, dinging up those shoes. Yeah. I don't know. I know. After that, we're at church. We wake up and we're at church. And he tries to get in to talk to Rose. And she's like, oh, it's not a good idea. Oh, it's because she gets like berated from Cal. And so she's like, I can't see you anymore. And that's when they're in the gym. You love the gym. Oh, that gym was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we got a rowing machine and we got a bunch of balls. How did people get fit? Running? they They threw big things. They just lifted big things. And there was like a lot more manual labor anyway. Yeah. Less processed food. Lots of lots of steaks and milk. So they can't see each other anymore. And then they decide, what the heck, we will. And so they're at the front of the ship. I'm flying! Yeah. And then the song comes on for a second. You had asked what I think is more iconic. Jack, Jack, I'm flying. Mm-hmm. Or I'm king of the world. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. If you went up to someone and said, I'm king of the world, or look, Jack, I'm flying, what would they recognize the most? Yeah, probably I'm king of the world. I'm king of the world! Yeah. I can insert a little clip there. They escape, and there are a lot of charades, like him drawing her naked on the couch, wearing only the heart of the ocean. James Cameron was the one who sketched the painting of Rose. That's fascinating to me. So it's his hands. They do look different. The nude scene was also DiCaprio and Winslet's first scene they filmed together. I wonder why. Just to kind of like f- catch that like nervousness? I, maybe. We also, I tried looking this up. I couldn't find any real, any real reason why this was necessarily rated PG-13 versus R. I just remember hearing rumors that like, oh, James Cameron really lobbied the MPAA to move it down from R to PG-13 so that you would sell more tickets and get get more of the target audience, which were teenagers, to go mm-hmm. see the movie. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't find anything about that. My sister, Amy, shout out to Amy again. Um... She said that she went to see it with all the kids in her ward. And there were like 15 kids when we lived in Oklahoma. Uh-huh. And they all, <laughs> at that part, they all stood up and just walked out of the theater for a little while. And then came back a few minutes later. <laughs> just like 15 kids just Imagine standing just up. They were in the row in front of you. <laughs> so they do that. Lovejoy comes in and he's chasing them. And there are a bunch of charades with that. They're just Lovejoy is Billy Zane's. Hitman, sort of. Yeah. Not hitman's a bad word, but Assistant? like. Yeah. Butler. Entourage? Entourage is a group of people. Oh. Butler? Pal. Doesn't matter. <laughs> His friend. Yeah. And then there's the car scene where they have sex. They do. But you don't see anything. No. Nope. Except like a sweaty. Sweaty, a hand hits the, the glass. Yeah. I had no idea what any of this was meaning when I, I was. I didn't either. And eight. like people knew, people like talked about how it was like a, a sex scene. And it didn't show anything, so that was always confusing. We were just kids. I know. They escape. That's basically right when they hit the Titan, or the. Uh, it's right when they hit the iceberg. The tape ends. The um, tape ends with a great scene with Victor Garber. That is a great scene. The pumps. If we open the, the doors. The pumps buy you time, but minutes only. From this moment, no matter what we do, Titanic will founder. But this ship can't sink. She's made of iron, sir. I assure you, she can. And she will. It is a mathematical certainty. And he's, then, he's great in this movie. Yeah. Dude, what's the captain's name? Captain Smith. The actor? Yeah. Oh, it's Bernard Hill. 
And then he says the line. Well, I believe you may get your headlines, Mr. Ismay. I like that line. That is a good line. Because <laughs> Mr. Ismay sucks. Lovejoy, Billy Zane's right-hand man, best friend. They frame him for stealing the diamond. So they lock up Leonardo DiCaprio, Jack, in a lower deck of the ship, handcuffed. The ship is sinking, and Rose rescues Jack with the axe. That part always stressed me out when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. This part is actually the scariest part to me. Any of the scenes where they're in the very claustrophobic hallways with water rising, there's a lot of kind of going back and forth, these different sequences, like sometimes where they're out on the main deck and then mm -hmm. they have to go back down. But in one sequence when they go back down and they're seemingly locked behind a gate and the water's rising and they're barely above the water and they're trying to grasp for the keys that are like on the bottom, they're looking for them. The water had like a has like a weird green like glow to it and like the light reflecting off the waves like all around on the walls is just very eerie. It's really scary to me growing up. So Jack and Rose are the audience avatars of experiencing, experiencing basically every part of the Titanic slowly going down. Yeah. So they are present, kind of like we were joking about how convenient it is that they're oh, present for basically every major event that happens. Obviously, obviously that's like a framing narrative for us so that we can see it slowly go down. There's like a lot of mayhem as people are trying to get into lifeboats. The quartet playing. Yes, the quartet plays and they go down with the ship, which happened. They didn't put enough people into the lifeboats initially, so they even like didn't save as many as they could have. It was just a colossal, chaotic mess. It gave me such anxiety to watch it. At like more as an adult? Yes. No, there's like, well, there's like a lieutenant who is trying to be in charge and trying oh, to keep yeah. order in some way. What's his name? Uh, Murdoch. In the chaos, he ends up shooting someone and is so horrified by it that he just shoots Well, himself. he's also horrified that he took money from Cal. I think it's just a combination of just like everything that he's like. And, sure, and surely knowing like, I'm probably going to go out on yeah. this. Like I probably won't get into a boat. And the guy that we hate, the guy who built the ship. Mr. Ismay. Yeah, going faster. He ends up on one of the lifeboats. Yeah. This freaking scumbag. The dad on Jumanji, he had to survive for that. Oh, yeah. Well, no, he was the, the general. That's also the dad. What? Did you not know that? No. Oh. Jack and Rose run to the end of the ship that's still up. Yeah. And are able to hold on while the ship fills up with enough water that it tips, but then it breaks in half because it can't, the way the ship is constructed and the the point of the ship. Anyway, they explain it in the movie, but it breaks in half. So when the back of the ship breaks, like when the, it breaks down the middle, it goes mm -hmm. back and all of those people in the water right there oh my are just gosh. dead. And all the people on the sides of the ship, that's a t huge tidal wave, you know? Fabrizio, our, our boy Fabrizio. Mm -hmm. A big tower just falls right on him. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's really sad. I know. It's also when the lights, when the electricity finally just all shuts off, it's also very eerie uh -huh. and scary. And they do like a wide shot. Mm -hmm. Some of those wide shots all throughout the movie, even like at the beginning when they're first boarding the ship, look incredible. Uh -huh. For the most part, I think the CGI holds up pretty well. Except for that one part. There was one part early on <laughs> when it's scanning over the boat where... <laughs> Mr. Murdoch is Gumby. <laughs> His body is like... <laughs> we both laughed involuntarily. Yeah, it took us out. Yeah, that was... The rest of it was ge genuinely yeah. fine. Yes. Some of the shots, like there was one shot like of a wide shot of the boat, like in the middle of the ocean when they shoot the flare. And you really just get a sense of like how they're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. The boat submerges. Yeah. Uh, Jack and Rose, they find some rubble, they find a door, and it's a lot of people just freezing in the water. Yeah. That part's very scary. Mm -hmm. The boats are coming through. Always scared me. I found out that the frozen corpses were created by applying the actors with a powder that crystallized when exposed to water. That is really cool. And they put wax on their hair and clothes. Rose gets on the door. Jack is hanging on the side of the door, sitting in the water. And there's a grand debate about this door and if Jack could have got fit on the door. What do you think? Um, no, because the way that the, the buoyancy, maybe, of the door, mm -hmm. it just would have all submerged into the, like, the whole door would have submerged into the water for two people. If you and I were on it, we would have taken turns. Well, listen to this. Mythbusters in 2012, they did an episode about this, and they made the case that they both could have survived. James Cameron fired back five years later. Okay, so let's really play that out. You're Jack. You're in water that's 28 degrees. Your brain is starting to get hypothermia. Mythbusters asks you to now go take off your life vest, take hers off, 
swim underneath this thing, attach it in some way that it just won't wash out two minutes later, because I'm sure that was part of their case was put the life vest under the door to prop it up more. That's... Mm. Cameron says, which means you're underwater tying this thing, and that's going to take you five to ten minutes, so by the time you come back up, you're already dead. So that wouldn't work. His best choice was to keep his upper body out of the water and hope to get pulled up by a boat or something before he died. I think he... I, I don't think it would have worked. No, I don't either. And she somehow makes it over to the guy to blow the whistle. And, and then she gets on the ship. She never sees Cal again. He kills himself later on. And then the very end. So the framing of this movie... It's told through old Rose's eyes. Old Rose. So I guess we accidentally kind of skipped over that Mm -hmm. early on. The movie starts with Bill Paxton. He's been trying to find, what's it called again? The diamond. The heart of the ocean. The heart of the ocean diamond. La Cour de la Mer. That's it. And he's been doing these deep dive wreckages of the wreckage of Titanic looking for it. Three years. It's a long time. He finds a safe. We are confused at how Rose's painting survives that safe we, being we genuinely up. have no idea. Yeah. Is that a thing? Don't There's even, no way. Don't even try to convince us. I would like to be convinced. They broadcast that they found this, pa- this painting. That's where Old Rose, who is 101, that's where she kind of comes forward and she goes with them to the wreckage, over the wreckage of the Titanic. And then she tells them this whole story of how that painting ended up happening and everything. And then... It turns out Cal had taken the necklace... Pocket. At some point in the night, he'd put it on Rose to keep her warm. (laughs) What could possibly be funny? I put the diamond in the coat. I put the coat on her! She ends up with the necklace. Yes, and she she holds on to it. Yeah, she never sells it. And the end of the movie is her standing over the edge... That's also gave me, made me nervous. Yeah. Because she's been in a wheelchair the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, that part was also When her foot just kind spooky. of steps up on the ledge, I was like, oh, just be, please be careful. She drops uh, the heart of the ocean necklace into the water. Oh! Oh, yeah, that's it. Like someone just pinched her. Yeah. And then she goes to bed. And never wakes up. Yes. And then she meets all of her Titanic friends. You see the old wreckage of the Titanic, and it comes back to life. And all of her friends are there. All of her third-class friends. Right. Not many of her first-class friends. No. She walks up the grand staircase. Who's there for her? Jack. And not the man that she built a life with. That's true. <laughs> Which I don't have a problem She was with married that. for decades. She had children with someone else. But who was there to greet her to welcome her into the afterlife? Someone she knew three days. Three days. <laughs> boned in a car. <laughs> and drew her naked. Like one of his French girls. That's who her heart stays with forever. Yes. I do love the idea that she never spoke of him. There was no record of him on the ship. And that I love when she says, he lives only in my memory. I think that's a really cool, interesting part of Titanic. Do you think she's remembering him more attractive than he really was? Because technically everything Probably. everything we're seeing of the footage from 1912 in the movie is technically her story. She's the narrator of that story. So he maybe didn't even look like Leonardo DiCaprio. No. Maybe he looked like Jared Leto. <laughs> uh, Gloria Stewart, who played Old Rose. She Old actually Rose. she died on September 26, 2010 at the age of 100. I wonder what kind of like fanfic exists on the internet. I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one fan theory. Okay. Jack Dawson, penniless artist who wins a, t- a ticket onto the Titanic in 1912. Attends a first-class dinner, develops a taste for the finer things in life. He pockets the heart of the ocean. He survives the sinking. (laughs) He pawns off the diamond. He spends the next 10 years building his wealth, and in 1922 moves to West Egg, renames himself Jay Gatsby. (laughs) Millionaire with a shady past and a fear of swimming pools. The Great Gatsby is a sequel to Titanic. We didn't even plan that. Me bringing up fanfic. Mm-mm. We watched this last week, so we won't watch it again. But there is an insane, insane, insane alternate ending to this movie. You've got to watch it. I'll post a link to the YouTube clip. Instead of her, instead of old Rose dropping the necklace into the ocean above the Titanic and then slipping away in her sleep, she's confronted by Bill Paxton, her granddaughter. And Bill Paxton's first mate. I don't know what they are. <laughs> and they are saying, don't drop it. Like, 
give give it to me and she's just standing there with it over hanging it over the edge why couldn't they could easily overpower this lady 100 percent. he just grab it yeah and he even bill paxton even convinces her like just let me hold it once he could have taken it so easily it's true but she probably would have haunted him <laughs> the best part of that alternate ending is where he looks up at the sky and just laughs, starts laughing. Oh yeah, she she states the thesis of the film. Yeah, it's so stupid. Which is the true treasures in our hearts and in our relationships. And he's like, you know what? You're right. Three years of my life, who cares? I learned a valuable lesson. He does a slow motion laugh as he looks up to the heavens. And... No, I actually think the funniest part of that is when she does drop it. She still does the same. Uh, his first mate is like, That really sucks, lady! Oh, yeah! <laughs> it's you, good. You have to watch it to believe how insanely bad it is. I cannot believe they filmed this. Yeah. It's it's from a different... It feels like it's from a completely different It makes movie. the actual ending look like a, an Academy Award winning scene. <laughs> like, it <Yeah>. is. <laughs> how is this movie aged for you? Great. When was last... I will always love it. When was the last time you saw it? Probably like a year oh, and okay. a half ago. I appreciated it a lot more than I thought I would actually. I feel like you had an experience where you appreciated it as an adult mm-hmm. versus as a kid. Yes. Where I kind of just watched it all throughout my life. I had a good time. I had a good time watching it. Good. I had a good time recapping it and then recapping it again. All right. You ready for some behind the scenes factoids about this movie? Absolutely. This was created by James Cameron. Cameron has had a pretty crazy career. It's a very rare filmmaker. In total, his movies have grossed approximately $6 billion worldwide. He created the second and third highest grossing movies of all time, Titanic and Avatar. I feel like the lesson you should learn with James Cameron is to never bet against James Cameron. Right now, he is in the middle of producing, writing, producing, and directing Four Avatar sequels. It sounds insane, right? Yeah. Your eyes just did like a weird draggy thing and you shook your head in disbelief. (laughs) But I feel like we should never discount James Cameron. I agree. Because he's usually right. Only one movie, I think, of his hasn't been like a phenomenal success. Aliens? The Abyss. No, Aliens was a huge success. He's a visual effects pioneer. That's why I'm kind of excited for the Avatar movies because I wonder what he's thought of in his wild mind and is Mm -hmm. trying to visualize on screen. I've heard rumors that it's going to be some type of 3D without glasses, which I don't really Hmm. understand. That, That could be a total rumor, but he had a fascination with shipwrecks. He saw the Titanic as the Mount Everest of shipwrecks. He saw an IMAX film made of footage shot at the wreckage itself, and he decided, I am going to seek Hollywood funding to pay for an expedition to, to do the same thing. It wasn't because I was particularly wanted to make a movie. I wanted to dive to the shipwreck. Uh, the crew shot at the real wreckage in the Atlantic Ocean 12 times throughout 1995. At that depth, the water pressure was 6,000 pounds per square inch. One small flaw in the vessel's superstructure would mean instant death for everyone on board. That is so scary. I couldn't I couldn't do it. Uh-uh. I would never do that. No. Two things I would never do. Dive. That freaks me out. I would never survive. And jump out of an airplane. Two things I will never be doing. Ugh. What about what about like shark? People who go in no. those cages? Never. Shark cages. Never. Yeah. I mean I love that people do that. I think it's 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 very I think cool. It's cool. I just I'm not built that way. No. During one of the dives, one of the submersibles collided with the Titanic's hull, damaging both the sub and the ship and leaving fragments of the submersible's propeller scattered around the superstructure. So we damaged the Titanic. Crazy. It's also weird, too, how many bodies were trapped inside of it. Oh, my gosh. And how they're all gone now. It is said that James Cameron has spent more time with that ship than anyone who ever boarded it. That is mind-blowing. Are you being facetious? No, okay. that is really interesting. Than anyone who boarded the Titanic? Nuts, huh? Yes. And I mean, we saw what they brought with them. They were ready to live on that thing. Yeah. 20th Century Fox acquired 40 acres of waterfront south of Mexico, and they built a huge horizon tank that filled 17 million gallons of water. And that was for... They like reconstructed the exterior of the entire ship, and it was built along a 50-foot lifting platform that would tilt it for all the sinking sequences. Very cool. I told you this fact that I think you enjoyed last time. During the shooting of the present present day scenes, 
an angry crew member put PCP into the soup that Cameron and the various crew members ate one night when they were in Nova Scotia. It sent more than 50 people to the hospital, including Bill Paxton. Actor Louis Abernathy said there were people just rolling around, completely out of it. Some of them said they were seeing streaks and psychedelics. James Cameron managed to vomit before the drug took full hold. Abernathy also said that he was shocked at the way Cameron looked. He said, one eye was completely red. A pupil, no iris, beat red. The other eye looked like he'd been sniffing glue since he was four. The person behind the poisoning was never caught. (laughs) Do you think it was Billy Zane? (laughs) Kate Winslet. That guy seems wild. The poisoner is still at large. The cost of filming Titanic eventually began to mount and reach $200 million. Which equals to a little bit over $1 million per minute of screen time. Whoa. They also originally wanted to release it that summer, July 2nd, and really capitalize on like the summer blockbuster season. But Cameron kept pushing it back for special effects, so they made it to December, uh, which fueled speculation that the film would be a complete disaster. And the studio executives believed that they were on the verge of losing their jobs. Cameron himself also thought that he was headed for disaster at one point during the filming. We labored the last six months on Titanic in the absolute knowledge that the studio would lose $100 million. It was a certainty. It became the highest grossing movie of all time. You have a confused face? Well, I was just thinking, a couple of years ago, I know that um, Jay-Z and Beyonce's combined net worth was about $2 million, or, Sorry, $2 billion. So just thinking one movie made their combined net worth is insane also there's only five movies ever that have crossed two billion and he's made two of them wild i know it is estimated that the film sold over 128 million tickets in the u.s during its initial run 20th century fox estimated that seven percent of american teenage girls saw titanic twice by its fifth week (laughs) the normal repeat viewing rate for a blockbuster is about five percent the repeat viewing rate for Titanic was over 20%. That's... <laughs> and for a three and a half... Uh, for a three hour and 14 minute movie, that meant it could only be shown three times a day. You and everyone else, basically. Like, so many people saw this movie. It's yeah. crazy. It became the first DVD to ever sell 1 million copies. And at that time, fewer than 5% of all U.S. homes had a DVD player. Even the book about the making of the film was a top New York Times bestseller for several weeks. The first time that such a tie-in book ever achieved that status. I had two of those books. You contributed to that success. Mm-hmm. Courtney, my heart will go on. It's a great song. Is that your favorite Celine Dion song? No. Um, I Surrender. Academy Award winner James Horner composed the music. Cameron didn't want like an instrumental ver- or a, a vocalized version, but Horner went ahead anyway. Celine Dion initially didn't want to record it, but her husband and manager, your boy... R.I.P. Renee. Convinced her to record a demo, and it was allegedly recorded in one take. No way. Dead serious. I believe it. She can do anything. She can literally do anything. Because she was... Huge. Not quite in in America, right? But like... No, that was like... In Canada, she was... No, that was like peak Celine. Really? Uh Uh-huh. I would even say mid-90s. Oh, no kidding. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So this didn't put her on the map necessarily. No. She was... I would say she was one of the biggest pop stars at the time. Okay. Which is probably why they picked her. I mean, I, I remember listening to her a lot, but like, it's hard for me to nail down exactly when I was really introduced to her. 90s. Well, I mean, yeah, the decade. But I mean, like, yeah. growing up, I wasn't <laughs> sure if it was like... Yeah, because she kind of stopped, like, re- not recording, but she stopped... She slowed down a lot in, like, the early 2000s. She had a couple big didn't, ones. Didn't we all? I slowed down as a 10-year-old, for sure. I remember being in elementary school, and the joke of... What did Celine Dion say when she spit into the wind? It's all coming back. It's all coming back to me now. And thinking it was, oh, so rich. Just comedic gold. Do you think My Heart Will Go On was successful? Yep. Tell us how successful. I mean, okay. Uh, The song won Best Original Song at the Academy Awards. It won Record of the Year at the Grammys. And it won the Golden Globe for Best Original Song. It is estimated to have a worldwide sale of 18 million copies. Mm. And it is one of the best-selling singles of all time and became the second best-selling single by a female artist in history. Who was the first? Paramore. (laughs) 
Misery business. <laughs> it probably is some. It's probably like Shania Twain or something. You think Shania Twain beat out Celine Dion? Let's guess, and then I'll actually look it up. Okay. I'm going to go with... You think it was like Miley Cyrus or Taylor Swift? Here's why I don't think it was anyone recently, though. They don't sell like they used to. True. I was actually thinking very old, like Cher. Or uh, Madonna. Oh, I bet it's Madonna. Like a virgin? Oh, of course. Give me a... Britney Spears. No. Give me a hint. Don't tell me. 1992. 1990... It's not Madonna. No. It was featured in a film and many films since. But am I gonna like kick myself? The singer has since passed. This one I think will do it. She's African American. I don't know. And uh, oh, Whitney Houston. Yeah. Oh, gross. I know, right? Gross, gross. I should have known that. I know. Obviously, right? Obviously. Okay. <laughs> That's honestly all the facts I have for this movie. That's it. What was your favorite part? I really like the dinner scene. I really like her dress. Okay, because this is how it was when I was little. I would kind of break up the parts by what she was wearing Mm -hmm. because I loved, and that was like in the book, it was like sketches of her clothes. I love her dress when she's, when he sees her for the first time and she's got the green dress on with the red belt. I also, I love when she jumps back on the ship and he comes, he runs to get her and he's like, You're so stupid. Why'd you do that, huh? You're so stupid, Rose. Why did you do that? Why? You jump high, jump right. I actually also, that dinner scene sticks out to me. I think it's the best written portion of it. It's everything that I really find interesting, like every element that I find interesting about the movie kind of placed in one spot. Do you have a least favorite part? I don't love when he's like, I kind of, I always kind of check out for a minute right when they like put the thing in his pocket and then they take him down. Yeah. Like that part's kind of boring when she's like running around to find, not, no, that part's fine when she's running around to find him and help him. It's what, it's before that when she's like, where is he? And they're like, shh, it's okay. And they're just like putting her clothes on so they can go out to the ship. That part just kind of is like drags on for me. So maybe, maybe I would tighten it up a little bit, but I can't really pinpoint like a specific thing that I would really change. Yeah, I can't either. Do you have a favorite character? I love Mr. Andrews. Is that yours too? Maybe. He just... Victor Garber, I've always felt this way ever since ever since I fell in love with him in Alias. He did you just, watch all of Alias? I did. Did you? I watched some of it. No. I watched some of it, but not all of it. I've heard it's good. I'll get around to it. It's on my list. <laughs> He's just one of those actors who has a voice that... Has like gravitas and everything. I, I believe everything he's saying. Yeah. Do you know he got his start on Broadway? No, but that makes sense. And he sings and he has a lovely tenor voice. Oh. And he was he was one of the original cast members of Sweeney Todd. Oh. Do you have a least favorite? Uh, the mom, probably. Mm. I really hate the mom. For some reason, Kathy Bates' character, Molly Brown, didn't really connect with me. It's fine. You're going <laughs> to cut her meat for her, Cal? I sound like Kathy B. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> uh, my final question. What is the most 90s element of this movie? Let me list some things. Okay. Bill Paxton. Billy Zane. Celine Dion. Um, someone having just one earring. <laughs> like Bill Paxton. Or two tape VHS packages. I'm going to go Celine Dion, two tape VHS packages. Pick one. No, I'm going to pick three. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna make, I'm gonna make up my own. Okay. Oh, okay. Leonardo DiCaprio's hair. Oh. It's very 90s. It is. It fits the time period, I feel like, uh-huh. pretty well, but we all had that haircut. Yeah. And she did t- that hair. Her hair is also very 90s. Mm. Any final thoughts on Titanic? It's a great film. It's. I love it. I'll always love it. I don't know that I'll show my six year old, but we'll see. Yeah. How old would you let? Maybe 10. 10? Yeah. Well, I had a good time watching it. I really liked it. Good. I'm really glad. I'm really glad I put off revisiting it for so long because I feel like it was really fun, especially to watch it with you. Yeah. Where you oh, that's it, sweet. Well, has such like a sentimental like attachment to you. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was really fun to do that. We, I mean, I was locked in the entire time. I was too. Rapt I attention. always am. Yeah. Here we are. We have also talked it to death. Mm. We've had this conversation twice. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> but it was fun. I had it was a, good, a good time. I had a good time. Yeah. Hey, Courtney, uh, where can people find us if they want to reach the podcast? You can find us at wife underscore watches, note the underscore, on Twitter. Yes. On Instagram, you can find us at wife watches. Uh, you can email us at mywifewatchesmovies mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Send us suggestions. We've been getting some emails with some, yeah. ju- some suggestions. <laughs> Shout out to anyone emailing us. Yeah, we've gotten a few and we've we, we've heard you and we want to try to incorporate some of the suggestions you've given us. Yeah. Uh, if you want to subscribe or leave a review or leave a rating in the Apple I, uh, podcast app, mm-hmm. that's always appreciated. We enjoy reading those. We and do. It's, it's honestly for our own vanity. Like <laughs> 100%. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay, watch you later. And remember, promise me you'll survive. That you won't give up, no matter what happens, no matter how hopeless. Promise me now, Rose, and never let go of that promise.